I want to have a gin bubble. That look on Jen's face just now. Like, I want to know what the gin bubble was. Just oh, thinking. gosh, the gin bubble. I don't know. I The gin bubble, I'll be frank with you, sometimes includes an occasional, uh, you know, <laughs> profanity. It's one of my vices. So I don't know how I'm allowed well, to Well, welcome. <laughs> Here we are. That's my truth. <laughs> so, um, no, that that's so great. Um, I don't know. It, it's overwhelming. I love the, will your workforce handle this? Oh, my gosh, the workforce is beat up. We are like you said, the word burnout so overused, but it is. I mean, this post-COVID world, oh my gosh, we're all just getting by, you know, and, and wanting to be excited to come to work and try new things and integrate and work with different disciplines. It's That's the, the good. That's the part that's keeping us rolling is reconnecting with the why. That's fantastic. We should end right there. Yes. I don't even think we need Deepu. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Integrated Care Podcast from the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. We are so happy to be back with you this month after we, I think last month was our first month to not drop an episode since the beginning of the podcast. So it was a a lapse that, as you will hear about, there was just a lot of things happened at once. And so anyway, we're happy to be back with you this month. Um, I am joined by several of my co-hosts, including our newest co-host, Dr. Jen Thomas. Yay! Um, yay! Hello! Welcome, Jen! If you yay. missed it, we did a special segment with Jen as her introduction in our last episode, so you can rewind and go listen and get that background. Um, but we we're just so thrilled to have Jen joining our team and adding a different perspective as she's a physician and practicing in middle America. I will let you introduce yourself a little bit further again as we do our icebreaker question. And then we also have Monica Harrison, Bridget Beachy, and Nathalie Serrano today. So we are rocking almost a full team. We're just missing Deepu George, who will join us in, in, in editing by giving our good closing at the end as usual. Um, so as we're going around, you know, I like since we missed last month and it's just been a while since we've had a general check-in. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind telling us what's been going on and keeping in mind that our theme for today is what happens when things go wrong. <laughs> Feel free to share if there's anything that you haven't to pivot around or anything that's been less than ideal in your life lately. So going around the circle here for me visually, the first person to give us our intro would be Bridget. Hi, uh, I'm Bridget Beachy. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist by trade, work as a BHC. It's a few other things on the side, uh, all things integrated care, though. Um, as far as updates on life, we have our postdocs, two of them, starting uh, next week. So we're going to be onboarding them. Uh, so that's very, very exciting. We're able to wa- welcome our pre-docs, obviously the whole class of family medicine residents. So they're, you know, uh, coming up on one full month in. So that's been super fun. And then this will kind of complete the trainees being here. And as of now, we have everybody who we've hired is onboarded. So um, that feels good. And I got a coordinator back. And hopefully I will have a boss at some point because we are doing our CMO search right now. So uh, there was a lot of transitions. I feel we're heading in the right direction, although ready to pivot because... (laughs) Uh, yeah, you don't, you don't hold your breath around here, uh, or anywhere in healthcare. And then, uh, in my personal life, we got some, uh, really fun trips coming up both for work and, uh, fun. And then it's also kind of sad, but it's, it's more of a celebration. My beloved bearded dragon is reaching, you know, the end of his days. He's He's slowing down. He's, uh, just about a week shy of nine years old. They said that as long as he's getting up every day and does not look distressed, we can have him continue to live. But as soon as he kind of decides that he doesn't want to get up for the day, um, then they will be ready to bring him to a peaceful sleep. Mm. Uh, so in transition, but we've had nine years with this amazing creature. Um, and I'm so grateful. Everyone's like, are you sad? Which I've been crying off and on since, but I'm, I'm not as much sad as um, I'm just really grateful and um, he deserves to be able to transition peacefully and not go through a bunch of crazy tests and uh, trying to prolong his life for like an extra two weeks or something. 
Well, I, That's sad. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope you guys get the most out of these days that you have yeah. together. And- Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like yes. he's part of our podcast family in a way. I know. Yeah, mascot sounds like. like. Always, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh. We'll, we'll get we'll get another one. It won't be the same, but he would want yeah. me to get another one. On the flip, <laughs> on the flip side of that, Bridget, I'm like, oh, is that the marker? I need to wake up every day not being distressed. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> You never know where those lessons are going to come from, right? (laughs) Maybe it's the bearded dragon. That's right. (laughs) That's true. We could all have a goal. (laughs) Good wake up. Uh, Yeah. I think we'll we'll keep you around, Monica. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Next around our circle is Neftali Serrano. Oh, first of all, thank you so much for rolling your R's with my name. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that. Yes. Uh, Neftali Serrano or Neftali Serrano, however which way you want to say it. I'm the CEO here at the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association and a proud, proud inaugural podcast member. Uh, missed you guys. Uh, yeah, so the summer has been uh, full of major transitions for us, for sure. Uh, the major tearjerker one is that I dropped my daughter off at college, uh, my first and oldest daughter. It's it's right here and I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. She's going to UNC Chapel Hill, so it's like 15 minutes away. So it's not far. And as a result, I think I, I did not expect the emotional impact it would end up having on me. It was fine. The drop-off was fine. The two weeks before, I could definitely feel like there's some heaviness on me. And I was just like walking around, not myself and just not, you know, just feeling a little just off. And uh, day of was fine. And then that night when, you know, I walked by her room and the house gets quiet, I just couldn't hold it together anymore. And I just like completely broke down. Yeah. just, and it was just like, it's just like, it, it's, it's hard to describe, but like you have this little creature in your life that came into your life, suddenly changed everything. And then you realize it's a whole different place and you don't know what to do with it. Uh, talk about pivoting, right? It's like, a, it's like this major life pivot of like, oh, yeah, this person now goes on to live their own life in a lot of ways. And it's just like, wow. So still working through it, still, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, working through the, the, the emotions and all of that. And it's been good. She's doing great. But yeah, that's, that's been a lot of what's sort of been top of the mind for me this summer. Absolutely. Changes the flow. It changes mm-hmm. the flow in your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I still got we still got two others that are, you know, teenagers uh, in the house. Uh, but yeah, the house amazingly with just one less person, especially someone as boisterous mm-hmm. uh, and extroverted as Emma, our firstborn, it just it feels so much quieter. It's amazing. Well, I I think it's interesting what you said about how maybe you'd underestimated a little bit because she's close. She's there, but that's still such a big shift to have her reach that milestone and for your family. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then we have Monica Harrison. Hello, everyone. Monica Williams Harrison, licensed clinical social worker by discipline, but integrated care clinician by trade. Life is life is like oh you think you got it figured out well let me show you that is what has been going on for me the past couple of months you know um definitely lots of pivoting um from a professional standpoint I am transitioning employment and so in the midst of that I'd already been taking on two jobs mine and some other colleagues left so theirs too so the stress of all of that working more hours than I would like and so my balance, work-life balance, self-care balance was completely off. So glad to finally just get in a place of having people around me to go, girl, what is happening? And at the same time, just trying to think about career trajectory and what the next stages of things will look like for that. So now I'm kind of pushed into the phase of how do you put as nice and neat of a bow on the work that you have done uh, before I leave? Um, So working on that, and had some health stuff happen that just threw me for a complete loop. Um, I am okay, but definitely one of those things where it was like, oh, you could have not come out of this. Um, Mm -hmm. And that I think completely makes you go, what are you doing with your life, right? Like where where are there, which my life is good y'all, but where are those things that um, 
you know, you're falling short and how do you get back to that? Those things that bring you enjoyment and the things that matter and that you really have um, a value in because your values change over time as, as things happen and you experience different things. So I'm in a different phase now. I'm excited about um, the new venture. I'll be joining the Ames team. So I'm excited for the, the new venture from that standpoint. Um, and I'm going on vacation next week to Hawaii and I'm not going to do work. And it's going to be me and my mother and I'm going to get some time to catch up with her and um, just slow down, slow down a bit and smell the roses, as they say, whatever that that little statement is. Um, smell the hibiscus in Hawaii. The hibiscus. <laughs> <laughs> smell that, slow down, smell the hibiscus. But, you know, it doesn't come with its own um, uh, internal guilt that happens because it's also the beginning of school here in Connecticut. So I, most of you guys know I have five boys, four are older and grown. So I've kind of been through and still going through um, what Natalie has, is experiencing now, but I have the one that is still at home. So school starts him next week and he's in a new school because we also moved over the summer. So that guilt of, you, well, you're not going to be there for the first day, but I like, hey, I need to go do this and take care of me because that's going to make me a better person for him. Um, so yeah, life is still slapping me every now and then, but uh, I'm still just keep moving. Keep swimming, like Dory says. Just keep swimming. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could hitch a ride on your vacation to Hawaii. That sounds fabulous. Listen, I got luggage space, Grace. <laughs> oh, and then congrats, we also... Uh, I just want to say congrats to Monica for, well, first of all, making through all these transitions this summer. Sounds like a lot. You just threw in that, like, oh, and we moved thing. Or that. Uh, yeah. no, I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, congratulations. We're, we're glad to have, you know, you know, have you continuing to give your talents to the world of integrated care at the AIM Center. So that's Thank great. You. Appreciate that. Thank you. And then we also joining us for the first time have Jen Thomas. Jen, could you maybe give a little bit more introduction yeah. of your background and where you're yeah. from and then also tell us how's life been going for you lately? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I was telling the team before we started that this is a very surreal experience for me because I'm literally um, a fan of this podcast for years. So it's so bizarre to see all of your faces with these fabulous voices that have become my friends and mentors over the years. I hope that's not creepy as like your fangirl kind of thing of like, I feel like I know you, but but I do. <laughs> and and I, I, you know, reached out to some of you over the time and it's just been so cool to, I mean, pivot is the, I feel like the only thing I've been doing lately. Um, I'll share a little more about who I am. So I'm a family practice provider. Uh, I've been at one health system since graduating residency. So it's all I've ever known and um, kind of just stumbled into integrated care a few years ago where I just kept feeling like I was hitting that wall of knowledge. Like, Hey, there's a little bit more out there with behavioral health. That's just outside my reach stuff that maybe I wasn't formally trained on. And I'd like to lean into that. I'd like to know a little bit more about that. And I didn't know what I didn't know. I had no, you know, concept of what integrate. I never heard integrated care. I didn't know about collaborative care model. I didn't know about PCBH. So um, I kind of stumbled upon you guys. My best friend was um, like, hey, do you listen to the mom podcast? I have four kids. So I was in this like young, you know, child like storm of like, oh my gosh, life's overwhelming. And she was like, yeah, podcast. So she pulled up my iPhone and she's like this little purple thing. It's right here. And she had literally had walked me through. I'm a little tech deficient, <laughs> sad to say. So I started listening to some parenting podcasts. And a few months after that, I was like, huh, I wonder if there's like a, you know, behavioral health, like primary care. Um, somehow I stumbled upon you guys. Like I literally was just like, oh, what's this integrated care podcast? Like true story. That's how I found out about CFHA and even the term integrated care. And I started listening and I was like, wow, this, this is cool. I mean, it was kind of like you guys were speaking a language that I knew I wasn't fluent in, but I picked up some, some words and some familiar concepts being in primary care. I was like, oh, that makes sense. So I just started learning. I started listening to you guys. I pulled up your website. I was Googling PCBH. I was like, what's PCBH? I, I come from a collaborative care background just by accident. So, um, you know, a few episodes in, I heard, you know, Naftali say AIM Center. And I was like, oh, oh, yes, we know them. We're working with them. We're doing collaborative care. So I was like, all right, I guess this is something I should keep learning and listening. And it, it's just been a really pleasant surprise and true pivot for me professionally to um, be a learner and to be, you know, nearly 10 years, I'm 12 years into my um, job currently, but I was about 10 years in at the time. And like, wow, there's other stuff to be learned and explored in, in primary care. I never really 
got that. I always felt like it was, uh, you've climbed the mountain, right? You went to med school, you're a doctor, go out and hang your shingle and, and do work. And I don't know, I'm in a community center. So maybe in academia, there's more of that professional development stuff. But um, I guess I just sort of stumbled into to learning about integrated care. And it's just been, I mean, I'm geeking out over this. I love it. <laughs> it's it's my, my jam. And I just am so honored and privileged to to learn about it and talk about it and, and to join you guys. Um, so yeah, just super thrilled to be here. Uh, personal life pivot, you know, summer, I have four kids, age second grade to 10th grade. My oldest just got her driving permit. Uh, last week, she drove me home from the pharmacy and it was so surreal. Like she's a great young lady, super responsible. Um, but it was just an odd experience not to be in control of my own car. Like what if something happens? I don't have the brakes. So yeah, learning and growing and it, it's, uh, <laughs> it never stops, but um, just trying to feel the gratitude for the moment. <laughs> so yeah. All right. So I, I have a question. That. Do we, do we look short, shorter in person? Uh, no, you guys look great. I mean, I'd say you're, you're just a wonderful life force. You're all just beautiful, talented people with amazing voices and um, just so smart. I'm like, I'm a little intimidated. It's like, you guys talk like grownups. Like I'm going to have to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Oh my goodness. That's really, <laughs> you know? if you think we're grownups, <laughs> you, you do, you sound very <laughs> professional and, and super smart. And it's like, Whoa, I hope I can hang with these guys. Oh, I, you just started behind the curtain and realize okay, well, how I'm trying. I mean, and, and, you know, the first assignment is like, okay, here's some articles. Like I'm going to show my geekiness. I got a binder. I printed them. I got a highlighter. I went full on nerd. And I was like, okay, I got to know these things. I got to have something intelligent to say. And I was like, oh my God, this article's really long. I was like, well, what did I say? And then about? 30 <laughs> minutes article. before the podcast recorded, yeah. I was like, by the way, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yep. But I yep. appreciate the dedication, Jen. All right. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I, I'm like, I can't be a deadbeat the first meeting. Like, Listen, you know, like this chick did your homework. The team. We, we round <laughs> each other out is a cohesive team here. All right. right. Good. Well, that makes me feel so much better. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. Well, we're so excited to have you here, Jen, and really excited for, you know, the, what you're going to bring to our team. Uh, I'll finish up for us on our introductions and I'm thankful we've had a little bit longer introductions. It's been nice to hear check in from everyone. Um, so I'm Grace Pratt. I am the behavioral medicine faculty at Great Plains Family Medicine Residency Program in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And I, um, life has been just like a lot of little things like my car battery died when I was at work and my babysitter was trying to take my kids to school and they had to leave work and come home and divide the kids up. And then there's mice in my new house. You know, it's like kids getting sent home sick. Like none of these are real problems, but when you stack them all up together, it just turns into a lot. Uh, So that's kind of what's been going on for me lately. We did get moved over the summer. My house got finished. I love it. It's beautiful. And it's right by the school and cut my commute. And so lots of good things happening, Um, but just lots of little things. If anybody has any mice tips, uh, you can talk to me offline about that because it is not something that I'm excited about (laughs) dealing with. I do not want to hear my my middle nope, of the night. Nope, no story. horror stories. Nope. And uh, I even have cats, guys. I have two cats who are not doing their job. Well, I was going to say, where are they in this conversation? Yeah. I think well, they should be first and foremost. <laughs> one of my cats, Bowser, is incredibly playful. And I'm pretty sure he just thinks the m- mice are like his nighttime play pals. Uh, so uh, I really need them to start pulling their weight around here. Sure. Sure. Yeah, sounds <laughs> like a Tom and Jerry situation. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> So we have a few announcements, kind of news and notes to discuss, and then we are going to get into our main topic conversation about pivoting and kind of what happens when things don't go exactly the way you planned or you're kind of working under less than ideal circumstances. So the first thing that I want to say in our news and notes is that we are starting a special segment series that I'm calling Voices of Integrated Care. Uh, And so we're going to highlight people from our listeners and from our community who have interesting ideas or innovative programs or are doing something exciting in integrated care and just feature like short 
interviews with you to highlight all of the amazing things that are being done in our community. So if you're interested in being featured in a special segment for the Voices of Integrated Care, you can email me grace.pratt at integris, I-N-T-E-G-R-I-S-O-K.com, or reach out to me through the listserv or reach out to Neftali and he'll connect you with me. Um, But we would love to have you and feature your voice on this podcast. And we have some of those coming up um, and that'll just be an ongoing series that we have. So if there's something you would like to be featured, let me know. Um, There also were a couple of reports released recently that we wanted to highlight. Neftali, do you want to say a few words about that? Sure. We'll just do a quick uh, reference to them here because as uh, has been pointed out by Uh, both Bridget and Jen, they are insanely long uh, pieces. And uh, apparently our primary care attention span uh, doesn't allow us to really process that chunk of information. (laughs) So, uh, all right, two reports here. And these are just uh, reports that give you a sense of what's going on, sort of from a 30,000 foot view. Although one of the reports does give some really nice case studies, including drum roll, a uh, case study report uh, from our partners in uh, the beautiful state of Washington, led by Bridget Beachy and David Bauman. So their clinic is featured in the Robert Graham Center report. It's called the State of Integrated Primary Care and Behavioral Health in the United States 2022. Really interesting report. Um, we'll reference it in the in the show notes, although, you know, you have Google, you can actually type that in and uh, you'll, you'd probably find it just as fast. The other report is called the independent evaluation of the CPC plus program or comprehensive primary care plus program. It's put out by uh, Mathematica, which is just a a consulting research organization. It's their fourth annual report. This is uh, basically an evaluation of a government program. So because it is such, it is a large, large uh, volume study, but I'm going to help you out by telling you to go to pages 104 to 106 in that PDF. That is a section that refers to behavioral health and provides some uh, context there. Um, with all of these reports, the one thing that I will tell you is that you take everything with a grain of salt because these reports are 30,000 foot views of things. Uh, some of the numbers there uh, don't probably match reality exactly. For example, the number of folks working in integrated care is, I think, highly overestimated, or at least behavioral health. So things like that, but it gives you some uh, guidance as to where things are. Um, Clearly, the trajectory uh, that these reports that you see year over year is that uh, integrated care is on the march. It, It is growing um, there's really no turning back. It's really more uh, issues around workforce, issues around payment that are you know, being slowly worked out. So anyway, those are two uh, reports that you can uh, reference and take a look at. One other quick news item related to stuff that's been in the news, some really encouraging news out of Medicare, CMS, where uh, some new rules changes are proposing allowing licensed behavioral health professionals other than psychologists and social workers, or I should say, in addition to uh, uh, LCSWs and psychologists to bill Medicare, Uh, they would be billing Medicare. So that's people with LMFTs, for example, LPCs, other sorts of license types, which significantly enhances access to care uh, because you just have a bigger workforce to work with. Um, They would be billing CMS indirectly um, or what's called incident two, typically through like a medical provider, right? Or a licensed provider, could be LCSW or, or psychologist, but they'd be billing incident two. And the reason for that, uh, credit goes to our policy person, uh, Julie Geiler on staff. The reason for that is actually it's a workaround. In order to change the underlying statute, it would have to be an act of Congress, which we know acts of Congress are very hard to have happen these days. And that's why it hasn't happened over the years, but they found a workaround where by changing the rules, they could have an LMFT bill incident to a medical provider. Um, and then essentially the, the bill goes through the medical provider um, instead of directly through the LMFT, just through a simple rules change. And that doesn't require an act of Congress. So I think it's fantastic. It would be so huge for the integrated care space where we are dying for workforce. If you're out there in academia, hint, hint. You need to be producing more people for our field. There's so many job openings. So last last but not least, I, I'm remiss if I don't say, you got to join us in Boise, Idaho. In fact, if you are a fangirl like Jen, 
and want to see us in person, you will see a live version of our podcast on stage as one of our community experiences at the conference on Boise, Idaho, October 13th through the 15th. Boise, by by the way, is a really great city. So if you want to take some extra time to do some hiking, if you're into fishing, outdoor stuff, um, or just want to hang around a nice, cool, uh, cool town, um, put some days on either side of the conference and have some fun with it. So go to our uh, website, integratedcareconference.com. And that is our news and notes. Yes, I was going to highlight the conference to you. By the time this episode drops, we will probably be just about a month away from being in Boise together. And Saturday morning, October 15th, bright and early, it's going to be the podcast live, jazz hands and all, although that doesn't translate to the audio recording. Um, So excited to be together in person, see each other's faces after years of not Um and be together with our peeps. So hoping to see you there. It's going to be interesting. I I wonder if we can actually have a conversation where we're all actually sitting around each other. It's going to be weird. I know. Well, and I'm also trying to figure out what we're going to do without our side chat, because usually, again, insider information, Oh no, no, no. a little side chat going in the Zoom uh, chat box during the show. And so I don't know if we're just going to have our phones out, be texting each other in the middle of it or what, but that side chat's important. So. Yeah. We have some deta- technical details to work out, but I think it's going to oh, no. be I'm, great. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that we still, because Bridget like puts so much good stuff there uh, on the side chat. It's it's like a part of the podcast. It's a shadow podcast for stuff. And so like, I feel like we need to hook her up with a computer and then hook it up to the big just screen project it. so the audience can see it. <laughs> see it come like Bridget's, you know, stream of consciousness. <laughs> Essentially. Love it. Mm, this is giving me some ideas. I'm going to think about this some more. And yeah. I think we might be able to do something interesting. Uh, well, I'm going to move us forward into our main conversation today about pivoting. And we know that we at Integrated Care are a scrappy bunch. We have, many of us um, have sort of come to things accidentally or, you know, come into a program and said, you know, there's this problem. I'm going to figure out how to make it work. I don't know that there are many, if any, integrative care programs that just start off from the beginning, fully funded, fully staffed, fully resourced. Like that's not a thing that exists anywhere in healthcare really. But I feel like, especially when we're talking about integrated care. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time figuring out, okay, this is an ideal, but we are resourceful and we're going to figure out how we're going to make it work. And so I wondered if we could expand on that idea a little bit and talk about, you know, what is that like in practice? What are some situations we've had? What are some ideas that we've had? And how can we maybe share a little encouragement with our listeners who are possibly finding themselves in some of those less than ideal circumstances? Anybody want to start us off? Yeah, I can jump in with actually a question to answer your question, because I'm interested to hear from the rest of the team about your philosophy about pivoting, right? Because like, yeah, we can talk about specific situations and how we pivot, but I've found that what helps you pivot is actually having a particular change philosophy, right? Versus like just reacting to every new thing that comes and then sort of not having a way to to kind of categorize that. So I I found that helpful because um, you can think of pivoting as like, oh man, this thing just happened right? I, I lost a staff member um, or, oh, staff member goes on maternity leave. What do we do now? You know, or, um, uh, oh, we got this grant funding now. Now we got to do something with it, you know? Um, and instead of like of thinking of pivoting as something that we do in an emergency, right? Or on the spot, I find it helpful to just assume pivoting is part of life, and therefore, you should have a expectation that, it, that you're going to face change in your program and in your development, and that you're then going to have an approach, hopefully a sustainable approach, that helps you to um, manage change whenever it does come or manage challenges whenever they, they do come. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear from you all, like, how, what, what sort of approach you take 
to change, right? And I'll start us off just real quick. I mean, I think one of the things that helps me um, think about change is I just think about certain processes that I use. So I use like PDSA a lot. You know, PDSA is just a simple like change strategy, plan, do, study, act, right? So if I get uh, an issue, um, I might think about, okay, let's run a PDSA on this, right? And, and that, that helps me then approach the change process as an experiment, which then puts me in a stance of thinking of it as an opportunity. All right, well, we have an opportunity to learn from this particular situation, but we're gonna, we need to like test it out in a way that we can learn from it. And PDSA helps me to think about it that way. So that, that's just an, a small example. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you all, like what, how do you approach change and, and, and using that to help you? pivot. Yeah, I'll go a little bit, not too far, because I was literally just having this conversation with a different system yesterday about making rash decisions, right? Like something is wrong and and we feel like, oh, we just need to fix it without actually slowing down um, along the lines of PDSA, but almost like a process mapping, which requires us to slow, to slow down. Um, and so this uh, analogy that we were using, because we were talking about some health e- equity stuff, was around like this thing comes up about the Lincoln Memorial is deteriorating and you got to figure out what to do. Well, your immediate response would be like, it's deteriorating. Why is it deteriorating? Because we're pressure washing it every two weeks. Oh, well, let's just stop. Like, let's just stop doing that, blah, blah, blah. But if you stop long enough to really first do some mapping of what is going on. Well, why are we spraying it every two weeks? And then the five whys is kind of um, what we are talking about. We start doing the five whys and it ended up coming down to, oh, it's because they leave these lights on at night that attract bugs, which attract birds, which attract poop, which is why we're doing the spraying every two weeks. So then the issue really isn't about the spraying. The issue really then is, oh, we just need to turn the lights on later, an hour later, right? And so I think what happens is we are so rushed to make a decision and to kind of fix that we're not looking at the bigger system issue, if that makes sense. And so to me, I feel like you're pivoting when you need to pivot. You got grant funding or you lost a staff member or whatever it might be. Take a beat. Like you do, you do not have to fix it right then and there. As long as it's not like harming a patient, you do not have to fix it. Like take a beat just to see like, what is your overall system vision, goal? What is your strategic plan? And so this pivot that you're gonna have to do, how can you make it still fit for the long run for sustainability so that you're then not creating more problems? Because that's what I feel like tends to happen when we try to patch something on a quick pivot, is we end up creating these other problems that then we have to try to fix or solve later on down the line. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's a great uh, reminder. I think, uh, Bridget, you put in the in the chat here about being anchored in your core vision and mission. It's a great reminder that that these points of friction in our program development are opportunities for us to hone the why behind what we're doing to make sure that what we're doing actually makes sense currently, right? It may have made sense at some point to do that thing. But then like in the current circumstance, maybe the circumstances are different and we need to shift gears. We need to kind of, uh, you know, take a different tack. Um, and I think that that retreat back to uh, uh, mission and vision is a key piece of that taking a beat that you're talking about, Monica. There's a someone that I follow that does a lot of writing and talking named Kendra Adachi, and her whole thing is the lazy genius. And her tagline is be a, a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't, which I highly recommend her for, in terms of whole life philosophy. But one of the things she talks about often is name what matters. That's always comes first. Name what matters, what matters right now. And sometimes what matters is like, we have this clinic that we've got to find some coverage for because like we can't operate without someone in this role. But sometimes what matters is we got to go back and retool some things in the baseline. So what matters may change from moment to moment, but unless we can weed down to maybe like one or two things that are the central core concerns in that situation, we can't see, I mean, I don't know. I always talk in cliches, but we can't see the forest for the trees. There's like too much. We're in the weeds. 
you know, layer on all the different ones, but we've got to be able to come down to that core. Yeah, I think I just, I see too much attempts at the quick fixes, similar to what Monica was saying with that, like reactivity. I think there's lots of things that go into folks thinking there's a quick fix. And, you know, it's like, it's like anything. It's like a relationship. It's like uh, grad school. Uh, it's, it's like a career. It's like parenting. There's not one. Well, you just do this thing. It's the, it's daily. Every single day I tell myself to put in the work, put in the foundation and you're just building the foundation. And at a certain point you do have to trust certain processes. So when we had somebody say that they were leaving our team, you know, internally, you know, I'm devastated. I'm like, oh my gosh, even though it was for a really good opportunity, but I'm like, you know what? We've been putting in this work. This person is leaving with a smile on their face. It's also an opportunity for them to grow, blah, 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 blah. Sure enough, somebody else reached out and said like, hey, I'm looking for the job in integrated care. And so I just trust the work that I put in, we put in, we all put in every single day to make the right decisions, to be a place that attracts the things that you want to have happen. And so when, like Natalie's saying, not if, when things go awry, you're like, oh, I have this huge foundation from which I'm going to be launching from. So that's what I tell myself every single day is like put in the work, you know, um, just like anybody who dedicates themselves to their craft or anything that's important to them. You're not just a parent four out of the seven days out of the week. It's morning, noon and night. Uh, and so that's that's a lens that I use. Good, good stuff. I feel like this is just so like, this is why I love the podcast. I feel like it was tailor-made to, Jen, you need to hear this today, <laughs> right? Because I mean, I don't know. I I am a new leader in integrated care. Like I'm a clinician. I identify as primary care, you know, and, and my impulse is to do reactivity quick fix. Okay, what's your problem? I got 15 minutes. Let's <laughs> yeah. see how we can, you know, solve this now and send you out the door and don't forget to hit excellent on your survey for satisfaction, right? I mean, there's all those pressures and and I'm doing a hybrid leadership role now. And I do find myself with like the, uh-oh, lost staff member, quick fix. Let's let's try to troubleshoot everything right now. And it's impossible. And it, I feel like I've lost a lot of time and energy trying to put out fires and do quick fixes. And it's really great to hear your inspirational, you know, point of view of, right, the long game. Like, ah, oh, that makes sense. And, and it feels so much more at peace that there's a, a bigger plan and a bigger initiative out there that we can all get behind. So yeah, this is great. You guys are amazing. I'm just going to be honest enough to say at the point where I took my eyes off of, of that, right, off of what the mission and vision is and like process and like slow it down a minute is where I begin to feel really burden, right? Like I really felt overwhelmed. And that's the part where I realized like, wait a minute, like I love integrated care. Can nobody tell me that integrated care is anything but like the best thing since sliced bread. And so at the point where I'm like, what am I doing? Is this how I like, once I got to that, I'm like, something is, something is not right. And right. the off thing was me. Do you know what I okay. mean? Because okay. I was trying to like fix, fix. Okay. Yeah. I'm doing this role in this role fix. Oh, this clinician is leaving. Oh, wait, yeah. we're trying to expand this program. And without just taking a beat to figure out how does it all work together. And what Bridget said was trusting in what the foundation was that we already had in place. That doesn't always look desirable to other people on your team. Sometimes they don't get it and they're like, no, we need to go do this. But trusting the foundation that was already laid I took my eyes off of that and began to, to feel very, um, I, I hate using the word burned out, but just inundated with all of that. You know, I'm struck by, as we're talking about these pivots and like figuring out this, you know, here's a problem, we got to fix it. Or even as if it's a good thing, we've got this grant money, we've got to fix it. Our tone feels very like we have, whether it's self-imposed or someone else going, you fix it, <laughs> like you fix this problem. When, what do we do alone in integrated care? Nothing. You know, the whole point that makes this work, the whole point is being collaborative across disciplines with our patients, with our stakeholders, with the larger system. And so I do think some of it is our self-imposed, like I'm the leader, I got to steer this ship. And some of it may be from other people that are like looking to us to solve problems, but 
if we, even in our problem solving, if we step away from the collaboration and the integration, we're losing the fabric of what makes this so unique. Yeah. Can't emphasize that enough. Um, I think that that system pressure is real in healthcare, right? You'll often get these messages from the C-suite, we need to see more patients, um, or uh, you're not you're not billing enough, or uh, you know you're not you're supposed to be covering that clinic and and you're not doing it, you know, and so then that that's real, right? That that sense of pressure externally is is definitely real. It's important, I think. I think the pivot that I try to coach folks in and 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 try to do myself is to use some of those good clinical skills to reframe the situation to those folks. And first, of course, that means having clarity about it yourself. So you don't jump to just like, okay, uh, you, you're telling me to do this. Okay. We're, we're just going to stack the schedule so we can build more. Um, or, okay, we're just going to like spread our staff out, even though it's bad for them um, as far as quality of life, but we're going to spread them out, you know, and just cover every clinic everywhere at every time. Right. If you first reframe that situation yourself, say, okay, this is an opportunity to reconsider how we're approaching care because of this change, the staffing change, this issue, whatever. And when you stop to do that and reframe that and you incorporate in that frame a really essential piece that I think gets lost, which is integrated care is delivered by a team of people. And that team of people has to be well in order to perform their job. So you have to consider, um, yes, what are my program goals? But you also have to consider these changes that we're proposing or this current setup. Does this work well for these people that I have on board to effectively deliver care while also maintaining their sanity? That lens gives you that long game perspective that Bridget was talking about that also allows you then to communicate to your higher ups a different story. And that's what you have to get good at really is just storytelling. And you have to be able to say, you know, um, yeah, I totally get like being sustainable is a huge part of what we want to accomplish. Um, however, there are some other parts to this story here that I want to talk to you about and help you understand. And I want to align with you on this goal that we want to be sustainable. And I think we can get there in, you know, the next two or three years right now, this is the priority to, to create that this base, right? So you can fill in the details of all of that kind of thing. I think we underestimate the power we have in telling those stories when we align with those pressures and, and allow those folks to not feel dismissed by us. I think a lot of times out of stress, instead of telling good stories and embedding data in those stories, we just reject the pressure and stress and say, no, 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 I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, try to, do, uh, you know, be financially sustainable or no, I'm not going to, you know, do what you want. We're always yes and people when we engage these sorts of uh, pivot points. But I think when you do that again, and I think this is so huge, I want to kind of emphasize it, like in healthcare today, if we're not considering the impact on the workforce, you're not building for the long haul. You're just putting a bandaid on something that's going to break down at some point soon because the workforce does not tolerate that anymore at any level of healthcare. So that has to be part of your equation whenever you're pivoting. You have to ask yourself, does this pivot enhance or detract from the health of my workforce? I wanna have a gin bubble. That look on Jen's face just now, like, I want to know what the Jen bubble was. Just oh, thinking. gosh, the Jen bubble. The Jen bubble, I'll be frank with you, sometimes includes an occasional, uh, you know, <laughs> profanity. It's one of my vices. So I don't know how I'm allowed well, to Well, welcome. <laughs> Here we are. That's my truth. <laughs> so, um, no, that that's so great. Um, I don't know. It, it's overwhelming. I love the, will your workforce handle this? Oh, my gosh, the workforce is beat up. We are, like you said, the word burnout so overused but it is I mean this post-COVID world oh my gosh we're all just getting by you know and, and wanting to be excited to come to work and try new things and integrate and work with different disciplines it's that's the, the good that's the part that's keeping us rolling is reconnecting with the why but um, I don't know it, it feels overwhelming to me to figure out how do I be that person how do I tell that story to the the C-suites and the the people that aren't on board I want to be that 
that leader, but um, man, it, it, it's overwhelming, you know, cause you got your primary care work and how many refills to do and the full schedule of patients. And then there's real life, home life. And it's like, ah, I don't know. It's, it's overwhelming, but it's, it's really good to, to hear that vision from you guys that that that's possible that even our coworkers and medical assistants and reception staff that thinking about their health, their sanity, that we are a team. That's so refreshing. And I, I love it. <laughs> I hope to be that person. I don't know how, but I feel like that's a great place to, to aim for. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, what I do, Jen, is I just try to simplify things. Um, and, and, you know, sort of the, there's this phrase that I like to use as a, Simplicity on the other side of complexity. So yes, uh, the issues that we face in healthcare and in staffing integrated care programs and running them um, are are there's a lot of complexity there. But there all is a simplicity on the other side of that complexity. And so when it gets down to it, for example, I might be looking at maybe a program that's not functioning very well, and you know staff that are feeling really burdened, pressure from C-suite. I look through that. And as I sit with that and allow myself to kind of discern my feelings and the pressures that I'm feeling, I start to like sift away those pressures that I feel that are really like, they're not honoring of the work, right? They're pressures that are self-imposed because I have this pressure and imposter syndrome about being a leader or something like that, or they're externally imposed because I'm listening to someone else's anxiety in the system. And when I separate that out, I get to a little bit more of a centered place and have a little bit more clarity. And then I see people. And then I, I say, you know, this decision that I'm about to make, like, let's say I've got some BHCs or some care managers and um, they're not performing terribly well. They're feeling burdened and, and all of that. And they're covering various clinics. They're feeling stretched. And I say, you know what? This is going to be a tough decision, but it's pretty clear to me that these two folks are going to do better if they're both staffing one clinic. And yes, we're going to mean we're going to abandon that one clinic over there. And that's going to be a tough decision. But long-term, I'm going to be able to train them better, provide oversight for their work. And we're going to do a better job at that one clinic and build from there. That's going to be a tough decision, but there's, there's a simplicity about that and about why I'm doing that. That helps me then be courageous because that's the other part. You have to be courageous to then set boundaries, set a chart for your work. And then I'm able to kind of make that decision courageously and say, yeah, that's what we're going to do. That's where we're gonna we're gonna head down this road, and then I can work on telling that story to other folks, and say, you know, this is why I did it. You may not like just, it, but this is why I did it. I, I was just gonna say that that example really encapsulates a lot of the things that we've been talking about, like identifying what's the most important thing right now. How do I translate that into meeting this immediate need, but also protecting our people? And sometimes less than ideal circumstances mean you do set boundaries and you don't have like the ideal perfect conclusion because in the ideal situation, you wouldn't have any clinics that didn't have full staffing and full coverage. But if as we've talked about, the workforce is a key problem. And that's actually going to be the focus of our live episode in October is the workforce. But you can't just make those people appear out of thin air. So we have to make decisions based on what matters and, you know, tell the story, like you're saying, of why we're doing it and connecting to that meaning and explaining it to the stakeholders in a way that it's going to make the most sense. And then I also kind of hope that, you know, the the team and the clinicians and the people over at that clinic that aren't staffed are going to become the squeaky wheel too. Because the problem is if you do put, you know, part-time coverage at both or you do the less than ideal, then people are like, yeah, we tried that integrated care. It didn't work. It wasn't helpful for anybody. We couldn't get a hold of the clinicians. Our patients never got called back. So like tried it, been there, done that. It didn't work. Versus if you have a functioning staffed clinic, like in the plan B that you talked about, we're going to put both our people at this clinic and that one's not going to have any, and then it's working well. And then the people from that clinic that doesn't have someone are going to start being the squeaky wheel and saying, hold on, they're doing something. We want to do that. How do we make that happen as a, and so it really shifts the whole conversation around how do we make this happen instead of, and eh, we tried that but like they didn't really, but they think that they did. Um, so it may, it, it's a hard choice, but sometimes it's really important for setting the whole tone of what it's going to mean across the system. 
I think where we are in our integrated care journey is there's a lot of sense of, hey, that you're onto something there. A lot of the PCPs embracing it going, ooh, that's cool. I want that. I'd like that. And we've grown rapidly and that's great. But then trying to also still be um, purposeful in doing the collaborative care model, you know, as a leader, I always pivot and, and have that little voice in the back of my head. Oh, fidelity. Are you doing it right? Are you doing collaborative care right? Can you stretch it this way? What if you don't have a, you know, extra room? What if you, you know, have a wait list? You know, there's all those things. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm a clinician and just literally dove into this probably foolhardily, but here we are. <laughs> and um, it's just really, it's tough trying to be the champion for like integrated care is the best thing since sliced bread. I want every doc in the world to have it if they want it, but we can't all have it today because if we, you know, overwhelm our, you know, workforce and say, see every PCP's patient, that's going to sink that lifeboat, right? It's like too many people and it falls apart and they're burnt out, overwhelmed and they leave. So it's a struggle to be both the champion of let's disseminate it. It's, it's a wonderful thing, doc, PA, NP, you know, whoever's in that PCP role and then growing it in a way that's um, sustainable for the workforce. That's a tough, that's a tough puzzle. <laughs> Still working on that big time. <laughs> I worry about this in systems that don't have support and don't really like get it. So someone like heard a whiff and then someone else said, oh, go do this thing. And then didn't give the resources or didn't give the support. I worry because if the system tries it and it fails, then how much longer until they're willing to try it again? Like how many, at least a decade, probably for a lot of systems that there's going to be an institutional memory where they're like, oh yeah, we did that thing. It didn't work. And so I, it's something I really think a lot about and worry a lot about. And I, I hope that our our podcast and our organization offers some support for people who maybe are the only one in their system being tasked with like, oh, go figure this out. Yeah, it's a problem I don't know a solution to, but it's something I worry about. And I think it does happen in a lot of systems where someone's like, oh yeah, I heard about this thing, go figure it out. And it has to be done right. And it's also true, I think, uh, Jen, you put, you, you, point out a really interesting phenomenon, which is which is very true around um, when you're building a program, there's a certain point of high stress in that program. When you're not fully built out, you might be on the cusp of being fully built out, but you're not quite there. And so you're trying to sell something that you can't actually deliver 100% on, but you need to sell it in order to build it. Oh my gosh, yes. Right? <laughs> Totally. So, yes. I just want to normalize that. That that's just that's normal. So if you're feeling that tension, that's just there's no way to get around that. Like that's that's just always going to be the tension. Um, and there's other parallels even in just developing like a primary care practice, um, right? So like if you're going to build up a, a panel of patients and you want to grow your practice with providers, you know, it, what often happens is you you'll have the founding providers of that practice get overloaded because it's not enough to kind of hire someone else, but you're getting there and then you bring someone on and you're like, oh, okay, great. Now we got some more help. But there is a sort of cycle of building and building to capacity, feeling the stretch of capacity, bringing more capacity on, and then it just kind of typically goes on and on and on. Right. And so I think what I encourage folks to do is like, don't avoid the tension the tension is actually telling you that you're in the right place. You know, it's sort of like my physical therapist uh, tells me uh, when he's when I'm doing my shoulder work because I've got some shoulder stuff from swimming. And um, you know, he's like, there's a certain amount. We want to work your tension. We want to put some load on that tendon, right? Because we want it to be pliable. In other words, we don't want it to be too stiff and we don't want it to be too floppy. You don't want a floppy tendon. You don't want a too stiff tendon. You want something right in between. So you need to work it. So it's right in that sweet spot. I think it's the same thing with program development and, and you know building things. There's just no way around that sort of dance and tension that we feel when we're just trying to meet capacity, but we're not quite there. And it's so good that we care about fidelity and the research and being well-informed. And I'm all for that. And at the same time, I think that it can sometimes be hindered. The amount of folks that I work with, the PCBH, who are saying, well, 
but we see patients for more than four visits. I said, there's nowhere in PCBH that says that you have to cap, that's, don't get me started on this, that you cap your visits at four. If you just go to the data, the most common scenario is for the people who come in, they might average two to three visits, but that doesn't mean you, you, you cap it at that. And so, so language and data gets all twisted and distorted and, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. And what I don't like about PCBH is that it's not flexible and that they have these rigid parameters. And I'm like, where, where does it say that? It says follow Gavin, you know, where you're a generalist and you provide access and you're part of a team and you're highly productive and you're an educator and behavioral health services are a routine part of what you do. Where does that say you can't do this and you can't do that? And so that's what I found is just rigid mis- misinterpretations. Um, maybe there's more to what the metaphor that um, Stolly was saying that, you know, if you're just out there, just like, ah, whatever, that'll be fine. And then you're like, oh my gosh, we, we hit four visits. We have to cap this. It's like, no, there's right. probably some sweet Somewhere spot. in the middle. Where's the sweet spot? Help. <laughs> Put and a big primary- check mark on it because <laughs> I'm still looking. <laughs> right. And in primary care, you know, you, you get done what needs to get done. Primary care is anywhere but rigid. And if you try to take something that's rigid and chuck it into primary care, it's probably going to fail oh, at yeah. baseline. So yeah. I yeah. don't know. That's yeah. a great, that's do a our great, best every yeah. day. that's well, a great practical analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when we're talking about pivoting, we're talking about working with the circumstances that are in front of us. There's a flexibility that has to be inherent in that because are, you know, oh, this thing changed. If your protocol is so rigid that you can't deviate and adapt to that. I mean, we're talking about adaptation. It's going to fail. So there's flexibility, there's adaptation. Bridget said of the chat nimbleness and being nimble. All of that is a piece of it. Oh my gosh, this has yeah. been such a good conversation. I want to make a space for any last thoughts because I just looked at the clock and we we're like over our time. I felt like we could talk about this for another hour. Does anybody else have any thoughts to wrap up or anything you want to add before we close? I guess I just want to say thank you. Like the whole be nimble. It's okay to flex. It's okay to, um, you know, the, the model fidelity doesn't have to be a reason you don't try. That's huge. I mean, when I think mm-hmm. of a uh, time machine to, you know, myself a few years ago, we're like, well, what are we going to do? What model? How are we going to do this? We could so easily talk ourselves out of doing anything because, you know, we don't have the staff and we don't have this support and we don't have that. Um, so I guess I just want to say whoever's out there is like, we're thinking of trying this, I guess, give it a shot. The experts, <laughs> these wonderful, awesome clinicians here, they're saying, hey, it's okay to be nimble, expect it to be um, messy and it's going to need a pivot. So go out and do good things and, you know, let us know how it's going. It's just really great. So that's, that's fantastic. Great. We should end right there. Yes. I don't, yes. Think we, like, I don't think, you know, I don't even think we need Deepu. <gasps> oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Deepu's great. Sheriff in town, Deepu. Uh, he's so like Zen. Like Deepu is like, like Yoda or like, he's just like so calming Wonderful. and like, I don't know, that yes. voice. He's just like, wow, I'm, I'm a lot chillier than I was before I hit play. <laughs> Uh, well, this has been a fabulous conversation and I really appreciate each of you. I'm so glad to be back with you this month. I'm glad to be back with our listeners. Um, we are going to have DP close us out. And so we're going to go to that now. Today, we spoke a lot of pivoting, which often means new beginnings. Here is a reflection for a new beginning from John O'Donohue. In out of the way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, This beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety, and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight, when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path a plentitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, You can trust the promise of this opening. 
Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. Thank you, and a special hearty warm welcome to our new team member, Jen. Thank you, Deepu. Thank you, co-hosts. Thank you, listeners. And we will see you again next month.